Welcome to Dyslexia Unbounded at Armstrong, a series where we share how we educate and support students with dyslexia and related learning differences, providing tips and expert advice relevant to any family or educator wishing to know more. Today's topic is teaching self-advocacy. Self-advocacy is a key component of what we do here at Armstrong for our students with dyslexia. Today, I'm speaking with our fabulous middle school director to find out more about helping students with dyslexia become convict confident self-advocates um, and students. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. All right, Brandon, what do you do here on Strong? What is your role and what do you do? Yeah, I am the middle school director here at Charles Armstrong, which means I'm in charge of overseeing our grade 6-3 program. Our students kind of see me as like the principal because I'm the one they're talking to when they get in trouble. Okay, perfect. And you also are involved in our elective programs. What have you been teaching in our elective programs here at Armstrong. Yeah, it's kind of the major little role, kind of do a little bit of everything. And sometimes I'm always teaching electives that we didn't talk to ASL, skateboarding, something. Great. So let's dive into self-advocacy. So we know that this is a key component for our students who learn differently in terms of their processing and how they compartmentalize things and especially preparing them for high school. Yeah. So what does that look like in middle school for a student who are in school for students with learning differences? Yeah, uh, it looks really differently depending on where students are at with their understanding of self-advocacy. And you're totally right, it is an incredibly important skill for our students to have. Whenever we have a student come back to speak to uh, like our graduating class or alumni return, we have students, they, the number one thing they always say is make sure you know how to advocate for yourself. And so that comes with a couple of things. And at the core baseline, is um is an understanding of oneself because you can advocate for yourself unless you actually understand what you're advocating for and what your needs are mm -hmm. so a big part of just being at charles armstrong at being at a school where all students have dyslexia is really understanding your own dyslexia mm -hmm. so we have um students come to us at various stages some come to us second grade some start with us in sixth grade and some come with us at a varied levels that actually understand their diagnosis and how it impacts their learning. And so some come in, they're very clear, like, yeah, like it's for me, it's like when I'm writing, this is what happens. This is how my dyslexia impacts me. And then some students, they kind of show up and they're like, you know, my parents said I was diagnosed in dyslexia, so I should come to the school. And that's where they're at. So we're starting at different places. Um, but the number one thing is understanding where you're at um, because you're trying to fit into like the school structure elsewhere and all our students by the way, um, uh, go on to um, mainstream high school acne awards, right? So they're going to be mainstream, they're going to be in a, um, among neurotypical students, um, and they're going to need to understand how their learning is different and what they need from the adults and what they need from others to actually get support. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because we know through research that every person with dyslexia has a different brain chemistry. It so is unique and differentiated that programs like ours are super important. We need to differentiate even more for those students because they are all coming from various paths and journeys, yep. which makes a lot of sense. So what are the advantages of including specific instruction for self-advocacy in programs like ours? Why is it crucial? Yeah, I think one of, I think this applies to pretty much everything that we teach uh, here is everything needs to be explicitly taught. Like we don't, uh, we generally don't learn things randomly just by doing things. We actually need to be taught the skills. Uh, so that's, um, that's advocacy, that's social emotional skills, 
um, that is history, that is math, that is writing. You can't just give math problems to a student. Um, it's totally understand the math. Mm -hmm. And you cannot just um, put students in situations where they need to self-advocate until they start self-advocating. So we need to go with specific skills. So for example, one thing that we started working on this year um, with our students uh, right at the start is getting uh, our students to stop saying, um, I don't know what to do. All right, this is a broad statement. I don't know what to do. And this is common in a lot of schools, right? I don't know what to do. And us as teachers, as educators, like, we're like, oh, like I'm on duty. It's like the bad signal, right? Like, hey, let me come and help you. Yeah. Let me, yeah. um, and then it's like, let, let me do this for you. Or let me walk you through this. And let me not have to um, put you in a situation where you need to find the tools to navigate through this yourself. Um, and that's a common thing, right? Because we, our teachers want to help people. So what we're working with students on is, all right, you know what to do. What is it that you'd be helpful on? Can you identify the problem? Can you explain to me what strategies have you tried so far? What is your current understanding of the problem? Can you reword it? Let's go through all these. Let's go all through all these steps because I'm not going to let you just say, I don't know what to do. I'm going to expect more from you. I'm going to expect to know you to say, um, well, it's already been done and uh, and we'll go from there and then we give you maybe another strategy and then i'm gonna let you go out again and i can imagine for a middle schooler who has dyslexia is also a teenager we have a little lot going on um in an environment where it's normalized the learning difference is normalized how does that help in this process when you're teaching that for the students so for students who may be in another community where they're the only student with dyslexia as opposed to an environment like ours where everyone has been challenged how do you feel like it it looks different yeah i mean so much of it just comes down to the confidence as you have just by being in the space and knowing that they're among others um i'll never forget this one time i uh met us uh i was interviewing a student who was thinking about coming to our school and we just asked, well, we asked like, hey, why, what do you know about Charles Armstrong? Why do you, why are you here right now? Why are you, um, why do you want to come here? And then the student goes, because I won't have to get pulled out anymore. And, uh, cause our students are smart. They understand. They know that in this traditional classroom structure, I am the other. So, um, anyway, you're spending so much time focusing on that. Uh, you're not really focusing on your actual learning need. Uh, I had a student just last week who um, was uh, asking me for help on something. Um, and I was like, sure, I was going to do the same thing. But before we started, um, she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep asking you for help. And I'm like, why are you sorry? What are you sorry about? You got nothing. This is literally why I'm here. Uh, and she says, well, I'm in last school. I asked too many questions and the teachers have not looking for it. And it's just like, my heart goes out, right? Like that's not like, that's not an environment conducive. Yeah. So I, I see it coming up in various ways in the classroom and at home. And I know homework is a big, big topic nowadays. And especially when our kids are going to high school, they, they may seem intimidated by the amount of homework. Mm -hmm. What does that look like from an advocacy standpoint? Like what recommendations do you have either for families, if they're at home with their student um, or even teachers who have a dyslexic student in their classroom? What are some of the tips that we use here that you can impart upon them if a student is at home and really struggling with homework from a self-advocacy standpoint? Yeah. So my recommendation for families is to 
not to not say yours to it. So my recommendation is because it's it's you're going to see your students struggling, and you're going to say to yourself, "Well, I need to, I need to invest in, I need to, I need to jump in." Um, and that is not a sustainable model, right? Because like let's say this is happening in elementary school, and then the homework's going to increase as you go into middle school, and you find yourself you're reading to your students, uh, reading everything for them, and you're asking comprehension questions and clarifying, and then they're going to go to high school. And then that's going to increase. Now they're moving on to really like reading the Odyssey. It's going to be much longer. Uh, and then what's going to happen when they go to college and they are responsible for, you know, getting to read like this textbook or whatever. And this, they're never going to have to confront um, what it looks like to have accommodations mm-hmm. to support them in the learning environment if they never actually have to confront it. Yeah. Right. So, um, on some level, it's going to suck. On some level, you have to let them struggle. Um, this doesn't mean you let them drown and fall, but like, what other resources can be accessed? What other tools can be accessed? Um, it's If they can't access text, can we get an audiobook for it? Do they know how to use the audiobook? Can, if, it's, if it's not happening in school, um, can we support them in using that tool and understanding how to, how to maximize it? So that's my recommendation for families um, is to not stone like do everything for your child. Um, they have to develop their skills. Um, and then for teachers, uh, those who work in the public school or like a, a system where it's like not like ours, you know, I like yeah. not mine for students with dyslexia is uh, first do research. First understands this one in five students have dyslexia. That's not a small number of students. And of course that is uh, that looks very different. That's an entire spectrum. However, in your class of 20 students, I mean that you're looking at four students who um, possibly are having a diff- difficult time accessing the content that you're protecting. Mm-hmm. So start by, um, you're listening to this podcast, you know, in the flip series. So you're like wanting to understand, so start with yeah. that research, start with understanding what's it look like, what's that experience look like? Yeah. Um, and that, and I'd guess for a step. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that like that will tran- translate it to any situation where you feel like you want to control something mm-hmm. and you have to like take a step back either as a teacher or a parent mm-hmm. and reevaluate like why am i getting frustrated right right and understanding where your student is coming from it just takes like a moment or two to like step back and it's that interaction that i feel can be really powerful for kids or for teachers and kids because teachers tell story i mean students tell stories saying i remember that one moment where the where that one teacher who I didn't think was really invested in me, they napped, right? right? It wasn't like they forced me to do something. And once that interaction took place and they showed understanding, that student will remember it like for the rest of their life. Right. So I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, When it comes to testing, um, because I know that many schools rely on data and testing, how do we impart skills of self-advocacy when students are taking tests? So I, I have two answers to that. Great. So one is, uh, well, one's the actual answer. And then the other answer is, uh, so I'll give you the second one first, which is I'm okay on some level of understanding our students are just not the best test, test takers, right? It is a challenge and it is not the best representation of their success, um, of their intelligence, um, 
And I think more and more schools are understanding that. Mm -hmm. And at least the schools that we partner with, they know our students come in with a whole bunch of skills and test-taking skills might not be one of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think generally, like in academics in general, I think uh, the narrative around tests are changing, SAT becoming less mm -hmm. important, college are looking differently, how schools are looking differently. So that's part one. Part two is you still want to take tests sometimes. And, yeah. And let's find the balance between, yes, you do have some test-taking skills, and we're not overemphasizing here. Because, like, both we live in a world where that test still matters to some extent and it's that system still exists. And if you focus too much on it, it will, like that's not going to be great use of your time or confidence. Uh, so, but our students, I mean, any students in the IP um, is guests at guests access to accommodations during testing. But uh, our, your students, our students, should know what those are. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, again back to the parent thing. It should not be about just the parents like making sure that those are happening. The students need to know their odd accommodations because when they get to the testing site, they need to make sure they're saying, "Hey, like uh, I get extended time. Yeah. Um, I should have access to that calculator on this test." Um, they they know what those are. Yeah, and I know when high schools come visit us. Mm -hmm. Uh, they know our kids and our students are really prepared in a testing environment right. to be okay to ask if a teacher forgets because it's going to happen. Yeah, because you might be in a classroom now with 35 kids. Exactly. And you're the only student in there that has a learning difference. Instead of, you know, building this anxiety up and spinning, they have practiced <laughs> with us and they're okay with going up and saying, hey, like I have this on my IP at extend time or even talking to the teacher beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. I want to talk a little about like mindfulness as a form of self-advocacy too, because I know that we practice that here. I've been to morning meetings. I've done a lot of the mindfulness too, even though I'm a little hesitant, but eventually I know it works. I'm just curious about what your thoughts when you hear mindfulness, because I know it elicits a lot of different reactions. Yeah, I think in the school setting, especially, uh, it's okay to just. Uh, I agree. Those, those mindfulness moments, by the way, there's much for the students. Yeah, there's. I think they're brigades. Like running a community meeting or a subway. We're going to do a lot of mindfulness here, but like sometimes, like, like the subtext from the kids is for all the adults in the room. Uh, yeah, it's. It is just. I think the academic, uh, the academic environment that our students are growing up in nowadays are, uh, it's a lot more like aggro than it was, at least for me, compared to the room as a kid. It was like the expectations. Uh, part of that could be the generation, part of that could be, you know, we live in the Bay Area and there's a certain set of like broad expectations. Uh -huh. um, and it's just so important for our students, like, Okay, not think about the past. Now looking back there, now look at the future. I can be stuck in that. Like you're staying in your present, you're staying in the moment. Um, and our students are also really good at knowing in a classroom when that's something that they need. You know, right? When they need a little bit of a break. Our students are so good at asking for a break. <laughs> Maybe too good at asking for a break sometimes. Uh, but like, and they know like these are the things I actually need, right? Yeah. Like. What it's not just a break, it's like I need to like physically move around. 
for a moment, right? I just need to like cuss out to do like 20 jumping jacks to get some energy out. Or is it like I need like like little zen moments and I need to just draw aside and take a couple of breaths and like they they understand that. So what's important to their learning process and their learning needs? I think adults have actually learned from the kids too because I've been at meetings where jumping jacks, lunges, breaks have happened. I feel that it's being more normalized. And maybe that's because I'm we're at school, right? If I was in like a proper job and I started doing jumping jacks, I yeah, would yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, literally, even I, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you're talking about, like, yeah, I just start doing some squat on the corner. 100%. And it's just great, like, and it's great. Yeah, like, my, my glutes are good. There we go. Odds are great. There we go. And I'm getting energy out of the hand. I'm still focused. Talking about a budget. And then, yeah, no, it doesn't floss. Learn from the kids. That's what they do. What would they do? Because it works for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, last question before we, we depart. So, COVID all this stuff that happened during the pandemic, all these stressors, loss of school, I think exacerbated a student's ability to feel comfortable coming back to school. They lost a lot of social interactions. How do you feel like we've been able to adjust to that shift, which has um, brought up a lot of feelings and trauma in a lot of people and um, with the self-advocacy piece? Because I feel like they're tied together, but I'm curious of your thoughts about how those connect. <laughs> Yeah, I, the number one thing is really listening on our end uh, is listening to not just like the students and the parents because uh, it is kind of this amalgamous thing that happened in some sense in that we know a really traumatic event happened to like our community and all school communities. And there's also, I think, some like a certain level of like, uncertainty of what does that actually mean? What, is, what did that, that entire year, two years... What do that actually translate to um, in terms of our academic program, in terms of like our students' well-being and mental health? So the number one thing has been listening, um, increasing the like access to like, mental health resources, um, and then also making sure that the space feels like as comfortable and as like safe for them as possible, right? So on some level, it's building up the academic program to having me what it was, some of your back here is like, oh, I'm like, I'm at home again, you know, right? But at the same time, listen to students because they're going to advocate for what they need. They're going to advocate for, and it's like, like, you ask a student anything, they're going to tell you, right? I can tell you what's up. They're going to, and um, you ask about their experience and you ask um, about COVID, they're going to tell you how that impacted them, tell them what it was like. Um, so yeah, listening on and doing our best of being accommodating and sharing them out. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. But when I'm thinking about what you're saying, like being vulnerable is incredibly important for well, anyone, but in particular, our students who learn differently. If, if their ability to be more vulnerable is accepted, they're willing to then talk about all these other issues, right? They may keep inside, especially, again, I reiterate, they're becoming teenagers. Yeah. So there's all that teenage stuff happening too. So I think that's really important. Yeah, no school stuff. No school can be challenged. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> And you do an amazing job with all of them. So they're very happy to have you. Okay, last question. This is a very important question. Okay, it's a main Faltro question that we're asking all of our guests. I'm ready. I'm ready. So the question is, I'm going to ask you a funny question. And then you gonna, you're going to have to ask a question for the following guest that I will ask them. Here. So it's like a two-parter. Yeah, so this is for you and you alone. What's the one thing you have the most of in your house, excluding silverware? Swimming, so piano, 
probably the one thing I have the most of in my house eating or residence. Yeah. I mean, like individual is going to be rice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like my individual greens. Sure. So like, are you still there? You know, like a shepherd jug is like, if you want to eat a thousand of something, sure. <laughs> you have the issue. So there's that. Um, I have <laughs> not a satisfying answer though. Um, satisfied with that. You know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of animal costumes, like costumes for animals, nods, like costumes for humans of animals. That's really cute. Or they could be interchanged, maybe. No, the size something out of it. Yeah. So I had a dog, about Moji, my cat, Kimchi, and then we have four chickens. Um, so Moji has gone through many years of costumes, um, and the costumes of them not being used because we think they're cute. Okay. And then we're still trying to find the one that works for the cat that I would tolerate. So like that's having many iterations, but yeah, we just keep them. So it's like, it's just building. And then uh, we couldn't find chicken costumes. So we made chicken costumes one year. So they have like a bunch of like suits and stuff. I'm sure they're very appreciative of that. It's very. Okay. So rice and costumes for pets. Yes. Awesome. But now do you have the ability to ask a question for the following interviewee, my next guest. Okay. Then they will answer. Uh, Are there more doors or wheels in the world? More doors or wheels in the world. I will ask that to our guests and see what they come up with. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's like, yeah, she clap, shake. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for watching Dyslexia Unbounded. We're very excited you are listening or watching. Please follow us or check out this video on our socials um, and Facebook. Take care, everyone. Thanks.